I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside Horror Show. Show. We are not doing a state this week. We are doing a refuel because my computer decided to screw up. And that big story that I was working on, I lost the majority of my work. I had like two paragraphs that saved and nothing else saved. And then one of my sources that I was using disappeared from the internet. Well, you'll have to tell us if you don't manage to recreate that story, you will have to tell us what it was so we can at least think about the episode that almost was. Exactly. Yes. Because I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge story. Um, and it's one that pisses me off beyond belief. <laughs> so I want to do it. But man, I can't believe I lost all that freaking work. And it's making me so angry. Uh, that's awful, and I feel like uh, even in certain cases, like autosave is great, but it doesn't always catch it doesn't everything. Always work, yeah. yeah. And that was this case because I was damn sure I saved it or autosaved it or something, but it just it disappeared. Mm-hmm. But instead, today we have a view fuel about something that Ian and I talk over quite a lot and laugh about. And it's when you watch a movie and you get to the end of the movie and then you see on the screen, it'll say inspired by a true story or based on a true story. And you're like, how? How is that based on a true story? How how is Fargo based off of um, the murder uh, of Helicrafts? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The wood chipper. That's literally it. The wood chipper. So it's interesting because sometimes they'll be like based on a true story. And I feel like sometimes, not always, but sometimes those movies are a little bit closer to the actual real life events. And then there's inspired by a true story. And those I think are just like crazy. Because it's it, like, the- we have a character named Art. I knew a guy named Art. It's inspired by a true story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we dug up a couple different films to kind of chat through with each other. Um, I was thinking it'd be kind of fun uh, if you tried to guess what some of my uh, movies might be based on the true story. Okay. I'm down for that. Mine, I just say it flat out, but I will definitely play this game. <laughs> it could be fun. It could be fun. I don't know. Do you want me to start with one of mine or do you want to start with one of yours? I think I went first last time we did like one of these type of deals. So I will let you go first. All right. All right. This movie uh, was based on a real life story that took place in the 1940s in the U.S. when priests from the Roman Catholic Church performed a series of exorcisms on an anonymous boy who went by the pseudonym Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. And that would be The Exorcist. Yep. Yep. 100%. I talked um, about The Exorcist, too. Oh, so this was not a surprise for you at all. No. Yeah, The Exorcist is, is interesting because I feel like the book and the movie are similar. They're very similar. Um, yeah. I think they did a good job adapting the book. The book is scary as hell. The movie, mm, shocking, I would say, more than anything else. Yeah. And I, the book is really scary. I have the audiobook version where the author narrates it, and he does a fantastic job fantastic job and it's really freaking scary i was listening to it at work back when i still worked in a warehouse and could do such things um and like i jumped at a point in the book (laughs) that's amazing yeah so if you have never had the uh, enjoyable experience of watching the exorcist it's basically about this young girl who starts to act really odd and starts speaking in tongues levitating after she is actually plays with a Ouija board and her mother is very worried about her. She calls for medical help. It doesn't resolve anything. And then she reaches out to the local priest who tries to perform an exorcism. And it's such a bad case of demonic possession that they have to call in an exorcism expert from the church to help save this girl. And trivia question. What was the name of the person that she talked to on the Ouija board? Captain Howdy. You got it. Yes. (laughs) It's so creepy. I know. And the fact that makes it even weirder is Pazuzu, the demon that they used in the movie, is a real, like, demon in demonology. Really? Oh, yes. He also goes by Zozo, apparently, and has a thing for contact through Ouija boards. Interesting. Did not know that. 
Um, I know you said you talk a little bit about The Exorcist. Did you dig into like the true story that it was based on at all? Yes, I did. And I found out I never knew it was in Cottage City, Maryland, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I've been to. Really? Yes. Briefly. Very briefly. My sister used to live in Maryland. Uh. Um, but yeah, so I mean, he was a 14-year-old boy, and he asked his aunt for a Ouija board for his birthday, which she gave him. And then after she passed, that's when the weird shit started happening, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also read a source that said that his aunt was also an active spiritualist as well, who kind of also introduced him to other elements about this about spiritualism before she passed. Yes. So it totally makes sense why he'd want to try to contact a beloved aunt with his Ouija board. And he got something way worse. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like reading through the case of, of Roland Doe, it's uh, definitely strikes me as really similar, almost like plot point for plot point to the exorcist. Like they, they adhere pretty well to the story, the idea of the escalating drama of like you try yeah. to go to your local priest and it doesn't work. The m- medical establishment can't help you. What do you do? Well, that's the weirdest thing about this story to me is, first of all, I mean, who thinks of demonic possession cases in the United States in almost the 50s? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a, you just no. don't think about that at all. And then the fact that they got a local priest to perform an exorcism, which, of course, didn't work. But, I mean, that has to go high up the chain of command. I'm pretty sure it might even go to the Vatican. Yeah, there's like a lot of... St- rules around exorcisms for for good reason of course because you know we want to make sure people who who need it like psychiatric care are getting it and they're not just being you know further traumatized through an exorcism exactly i mean and that that's kind of like a a weird thing right there because yes i mean with the advent of you know medicine and everything that we know about the human brain and psychology now um, you know, we can see a lot more of what these exorcisms may or may not have been. A lot of times they can just be natural causes and not demonic possessions, you know. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing I discovered about this real life case of Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim's exorcism is that there's a lot of debunking that has happened over the years. Yeah. Uh, especially after the exorcism came out and people started digging um, like, especially in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of efforts to try to identify Roland Doe, and they eventually were able to identify the young man in the original story. Mm-hmm. And um, his name is Roland, where did I write it? Roland Hunkeller? Hunkeller, I think. Hunkeller? Yeah. I don't know. It's That's German. Quite, That's quite the know. name. Quite the name. Ronald Hunkler. And he worked for NASA. Wow, really? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so he survived his whole exorcism ordeal. And uh, he actually went on to live a pretty successful full life and worked for NASA and then died in 2020, a little before his 86th birthday. Wow, that's crazy. It's interesting because a lot of the... Um... A lot of the debunking kind of talk, they don't really so much talk about his after the exorcism part, but a lot of people say that he probably suffered, he was probably suffering from some type of, you know, mental illness, maybe related to his aunt's passing, maybe some kind of depression. But they also say that around the neighborhood that he was kind of known to be sort of spoiled. He threw a lot of temper tantrums and that he was also like a prankster. So he mm. used to pull these like almost borderline scary pranks on like his his parents and like some of the neighborhood kids. So one reporter in particular, um, this author named Mark Obsesnik, who wrote a very he's wrote several ta- several different um, articles and books on on this subject, and he kind of has dug up some reports that say the boy never really changed his voice. He would speak in Latin, but it was mostly him just repeating back the Latin that the clergymen were saying, things like that. And that was interpreted as all all of a sudden he has the ability to um, speak Latin and speak in tongues. And there was just some big loopholes around like some of the mysterious marks that appeared on the boy's body and like the the priest never checking his fingernails to see if maybe he hurt himself. And a lot of the the violence that happened was just like, I can imagine like a 14 year old boy like flailing and like 
punching somebody and accidentally breaking their nose or that sort of thing, you know? Exactly. And there is things that I, I find weird about this one. Like, the original exorcism stopped because he ripped apart his mattress and threw one of the springs at the priest. <laughs> and then the priest was like, I'm out. See ya. Well, um, I guess he, he it like slashed the priest and like cut him pretty badly. So they were like, all right, we're done now. Okay, let's let's hope that was the case and not how I read it, because <laughs> the way that I read it was he was like, meh, here you go. And the priest was like, no, please. Um, not a spring. Yeah, exactly. I'm terrified of springs. No, um, they're my kryptonite. Um, but <laughs> the weirdest part of this is a few days after that exorcism, he apparently... Uh, like he started to get these scratches that were forming all over his body and they formed the word or the name Lewis, which made his parents go to St. Louis University mm -hmm. where they met the real life father Halloran and Reverend William Bodern. That's weird. Yeah. So That's that just weird. seems a little really weird to me. Yeah. Super weird. Like kind of made up. <laughs> yes extremely coincidental to the point of verging on hearsay and not an actual documented thing exactly it just seems a little too far-fetched um speaking of something that's not so far-fetched that's kind of in the same ballpark uh my next movie is based off of a similar well i should say my next movies are based off of a similar exorcism story oh Yes. So have you ever heard of the strange exorcism of Anna Elizabeth Michelle uh, or Annalisa Michelle? Hmm, this sounds familiar. So Annalisa Michelle was a German woman who ended up over the course of her very short life undergoing 67 Catholic exorcism rites in the year before she died. Um, she actually wow. ended up dying of malnutrition. I hope she had a punch card for all those. Oof, yeah, I know. So she she dies of malnutrition, and basically the authorities in Germany bring her parents and the priest who were performing all these exorcisms on uh, her. I know what movie this is. Up for negligent homicide. And it turns out that uh, the reason these exorcisms started is because uh, Annalisa had started uh, displaying like epileptic psychosis. Um, and had a history of just psych psychiatric treatments. Um, she had a seizure disorder, um, but she was very, very religious. And by the time she was in her 20s, this started when she was about 16. By the time she was 20, she began to hear voices, um, couldn't tolerate religious objects. And even though she was on medication, it just her condition, condition deteriorated and she was very suicidal. And they ended up turning to exorcism as the perhaps solution because she was pretty convinced along with her family that she was possessed by a demon. And that's what was causing all of the seizures and the hearing of voices and things like that. Yeah, I definitely know this one. It's the exorcism of Emily Rose. I saw that movie in the theater when it came out. <laughs> it is. It is. And the exorcism of Emily Rose is such a weird movie. It's actually one yeah. of those, those horror movies that I kind of love because it's essentially a courtroom drama yeah. with – you know, some questioning the unbelievable. Uh, also, who doesn't yeah. love Laura Lenny as a lawyer? I mean, it's like it's like a frame narrative is how yes. it works. And like it starts off with the court case and then goes back to the possession and then court case and possession and court mm -hmm. case and possession until finally the end of the court case. And it also has um, the chick from White Chicks and uh, Dexter. Yes, Jennifer Carpenter as Emily mm -hmm. Rose. Emily Rose knows. No, I'm just <laughs> Sarah Rose knows you're a teenage girl. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing is, so in the movie, the priest is um, convicted and ends up um, being released, though, for time served. In the real life case of uh, Lisa Michelle's parents and the two Catholic priests who performed the exorcisms, they were also found guilty and they were sentenced to six months in jail, which they served, as well as a fine and probation. So huh. they, they align really closely, honestly. Like, when I think about how close the film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, aligns with the story, it, it's pretty darn close. I would say this is definitely, like, a top tier based on horror movie. Well, that's good. I'm glad that they line <laughs> up. Because uh, I do remember hearing the actual story, like, the true story. Mm-hmm 
on like another podcast a long time ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty famous possession case. Also, there's a couple other um, movies that have been made based off of this experience. Um, there was one that came out. It was a German movie called Requiem, and it's very much about a woman who is suffering from epilepsy and mental illness and how she isn't treated for it. So it's not quite as like demonic. It's more about like this like horrible misstep. So it kind of takes the flip side of, of Emily Rose where there's nothing supernatural. It's very much like, or is there, but no, it's probably not. And then um, the other movie, which I have not watched that came out not too long ago is this movie called Annalise, the exorcism tapes. Came out in 2011. Do you remember when that movie came out? It had like a super crazy trailer. I don't know if I've seen the trailer. I know that I've seen it on like streaming services. I want to say Netflix has it right now. Probably that sounds like it. Because I I definitely uh, watched the trailer and was like, this looks terrifying. I don't think I can watch it. It's also sometimes called Paranormal Entity 3. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's, it was, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle it. This isn't that one with, um, what's the name of Captain Hook from Once Upon a Time? I don't know. Okay. I don't know, but it was another one. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick with, with the extras of Emily Rose because this this works for me. That's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the one that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that, scene, that was terrifying enough. I'm good. Moving on to something different. So what, uh, let's, let's skip over to see what you have on your list of based on a true story inspired by some guy named Bob. All right. Well, this one, and this is definitely more of a inspired by scenario. Um, so like with horror and suspense and thriller movies, there are few creepier figures than that of Silence of the Lambs as Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. a doctor turned cannibal serial killer in a maximum security prison who tore a man's face off to pretend to be him so he could escape prison. Well, I never knew this until I read the book, but did you know he's based on a real guy? I did. So William Thomas Harris, or Thomas Harris as he's better known, the author of Silence of the Lambs, one of my favorite books and movies, was working as a journalist in the 1960s when he went to Nuevo Leon State Prison in Mexico to interview another criminal when he came across someone much more interesting inside the prison walls a man named Dr. Salazar, whom he spoke with for a while about the man whom he was supposed to be interviewing, convicted killer Dykes Askew Simmons. With a name like that, no wonder he's a killer. Um, (laughs) Dr. Salazar had performed surgery on Simmons after a failed escaped attempt where Simmons had bribed a guard to leave his cell unlocked and then leave him a gun, but the guard double-crossed him and just took his money and then shot him. Uh, and Simmons's face required repair, which left him disfigured um, when Dr. Salazar performed the surgery. While interviewing this Dr. Salazar, the doctor seemed to be less interested in what 23-year-old Harris wanted to ask him and more interested in asking Harris about Simmons's victims, whether or not they were attractive and other macabre questions. Hmm. It wasn't until later that Harris learned who this man really was from a guard. He was a mentally ill prisoner whose real name was Alfredo Bali Trevino. Or Trevino, sorry. So Trevino was in prison for murdering his lover, Jesus Castillo Rangel, because Rangel was going to marry a woman, I guess to hide the fact that he was gay. Um, And the two were also having money issues, which led to the murder. Anyway, Hmm. Trevino murdered him, cut him up, and put him in a small box, and then he was going to bury him in the yard. And just two years later, he was caught and sentenced to death. He was also suspected of killing hitchhikers, but that's never been proven. And they've called him the werewolf of, I believe it was uh, the name of the prison. Interesting. So I did not realize that's where you were going. I feel like I've heard the Dr. Zahalazar story, maybe. But I didn't know more about the actual guy. I didn't realize that wasn't his real name. Um I thought you were going the other direction with Silence of the Lambs. Oh, well, let me finish this and you can tell me about the other um, other direction. Okay, sounds good. I just have a little bit more to tell you. Um, so in prison, 
He still continued on his medical work, tending to other inmates and tending to the sick after getting out of prison after serving 20 years behind bars. Um, I tried to get my audiobook copy of Silence of the Lambs to open uh, because, like, the preface uh, of it has, like, all of this in there. Mm. But for some reason, it would not download on my phone, so I couldn't find it. I think there was something about, like, a weird prison escape by him, too. Interesting. Okay. But unfortunately, I couldn't find it online, and I couldn't get the book to open, so. Well, I guess if you want to learn more about it, Roadsters, you can always check Silence of the Lambs out of the library and read the foreword. Yes, but it needs to be, like, the 25th anniversary edition, because that's what has the foreword. See? That's that's good to know. But it's, like, really, really a good book. You You should read it. I loved that book, and I love that movie. And if you've never seen the movie, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second of all, get on it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was one of those uh, deal makers for me when it came to my wife. And she was like, I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm like, oh, what are some of your favorite movies? She's like, Taken and Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like, we're going to get along movies. just fine. I love both of those. <laughs> I know. So the direction I thought you were going to go with Silence of the Lambs was into a place I like to call the Ed Geenerverse. Okay. Because yep. uh, there's so many movies that Ed Gein's crimes have inspired that he practically has his own MCU, but all based around Ed Gein's. So do you just say his own MCU? Yes. He has his own MCU. He's his <laughs> own extended Ed Gein universe, his Geeniverse. Geeniverse. Uh, I like Geeniverse. <laughs> Trademark TM. No one can steal it. Now we've said TM. Done. Um, so for folks who aren't super familiar with Ed Gein, um, he wasn't actually a serial killer per se. He only admitted to killing two uh, women, but he was more of a body snatcher and grave robber uh, in Wisconsin in like the 1940s and 50s. He had a pretty sad and tragic life. Uh, he grew up with an alcoholic father who uh, ended up dying and and then his older brother passed away and he was pretty much left alone with his extremely religious mother. Uh, eventually his mother passed away and he was the sole survivor of the Gein family running, running a farm near Plainville, Wisconsin. And he would sometimes help out as a handyman around Plainfield. Then in 1957, one of the local owners of the hardware store, Bernice Warden, went missing and Ed Gein was the last person to have seen her alive. When he was arrested, authorities searched his home and it was a museum of horrificness. Uh, essentially, inside Ed Gein's rundown farmhouse was an array of human body parts that Gross. he had amassed over the years. Yeah, if if you are into macabre shit, read about Ed Gein because I feel oh, like that'll nuts. feel that need. If you are a fashionista who wants <laughs> to make clothing out of other humans, yes, then Ed Gein is the way to go. Nipple belts galore. Yes, like all kinds of crazy shit, like using skulls as bedposts and ashtrays. Yeah, waste in like trash cans. He had mm -hmm. a he had like chair seats made of human skin. Ugh. Uh, Lamp like shades made of skin too. Yep, yeah, the belt of nipples, which is like one of those images that's like horrific enough to be seared permanently in my brain. Oh my god, yeah. Um, the box of vault vulvas, like the salted vault vulvas he preserved. Ew. Very odd. That is so gross. And, like, part of Ed Gein's, like, weird psychology is that he kind of wanted to be a woman, but he also was trying to reconnect with his dead mother. So both of his victims, uh, Bernice Warden and an other victim, a tavern owner named Mary Hogan, they were both older women uh, who were rather large. And he ended up trying to make a skin suit from their body parts along with some of the other body parts he had salvaged from local graveyards. So gross. So disturbing. And so Buffalo Bill. Yes, it's so Buffalo Bill. You can absolutely see how it ties in the Science of the Lands. Like, basically, that's what Buffalo Bill's trying to do. He lives in this kind of creepy farmhouse, and he's abducting women and making a skin suit. So definitely part of the inspiration of Silence of the Lambs, and Buffalo, especially the character of Buffalo Bill, is based on Ed Gein. But that's not all. I found upwards of, like, 13 movies that in some way, shape, or form, are either based on Ed Gein's life or inspired by his crimes. There's a ton. Yeah, some of them are, like, real straightforward. It's like, Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield. And it's just sort of a heart, like, he's made into almost like a boogeyman figure, which is a little bit unfair because he he wasn't. He was just a very disturbed person. 
And then there's the movies that we all know and love and have probably seen. So stuff like Psycho. Yeah. Definitely can see how how Robert Block's book and later Hitchcock's Psycho movie were based on this crime. A boy does love his mother. It's the only friend <laughs> he needs. Uh, Sevens of the Lambs. And then, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, yep. come on, that farmhouse. And like, that's pretty much what always made me love Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that it reminded me of like, yep, this is what I see. think Ed Gein's house is like. Exactly. Yeah. Although I do kind of feel that the Texas Chainsaw series is like one of the worst slasher movie franchises. Oh, yeah. The I first one's liked, great, but... The first one bored the shit out of me. Like, I just... <laughs> I thought it was highly overrated. I actually liked the remake better. The 2003 remake with um, Jessica Biel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it Matthew McConaughey in that, too? That's what I was just about to say. So, no, he's not in that one. He's in, like, the third or fourth one, maybe. Oh. And that's the one I really want to see just because it's him and Renee Zellweger. So weird. <laughs> which is just so odd to me. So I have to see it. And I, I think... also need to see the second one. Cause that's apparently a comedy. Oof. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of slow, especially for people in the current like horror movie day and age. But yeah, I remember when I first watched it as like a preteen, it was, it was that right amount of like, I've never seen enough movies like this before. And also like oh, yeah. such a crazy like performance from Leatherface and like the chainsaw figure eight dance. I'm like, that's so good. <laughs> that's oh, to this yeah. day terrifying. Well, I mean, since it just passed, I will tell you a little story. Every Friday the 13th, me and my childhood friend would have a sleepover where we went to West Coast Video and we would rent a movie or two and we would just watch horror movies all night long. And then, of course, gorge ourselves on like, junk food and soda um <laughs> but yeah like all those movies used to scare the shit out of me when i was a kid like texas chainsaw massacre and children of the corn and halloween now i'm just like eh, okay they're they're really not that's not what i remember at all yeah, yeah. you're like this movie's kind of shitty what did i <laughs> why yeah, was exactly. i so scared <laughs> i was scared of troll too for god's sakes which is notoriously <laughs> like one of the worst movies ever um speaking of movies though that are still pretty scary and that hold up pretty well uh house of a thousand corpses and by proxy devil's reject are also based on ed gein oh, i should have figured that one yeah i feel like that definitely makes sense especially like dr spall or captain spalling's like house and like the murderous family oh, yeah very similar yeah. And I discovered this movie, Eden, that we're going to have to rent because it sounds like it could be such an amazing train wreck to watch. Oh, I'm down. It's this movie called Ed and His Dead Mother. Oh, it's a Say horror... no more. I'm in. <laughs> it's a horror comedy. It's from 1993, and it stars Steve Buscemi. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So Steve Buscemi plays this character named Ed Chilton, who loves his mother very, very much. She owns a local hardware store and is really overbearing and, and overprotective. And when she dies, he sets out to bring her back from the dead. However, there's a cost. His mom comes back to the dead with a craving for human flesh. Oh, my God. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it's a comedy. <laughs> oh, it sounds great and terrible. We're, we're getting it for next movie night. We, we need to. But yeah, I I was uh, that's my my deep take dive into the Ed universe. Um, so wow. yeah, <laughs> what else is on your list? Well, I mean, I don't know if I can top any of that. But um, <laughs> so my next one, um, so you're gonna like this one. So a big hit show that I loved on Netflix right now from Shonda Rhimes, I believe, uh, that we've talked about before, Nicole. Since you sent me the SNL <laughs> clip. <laughs> Inventing Anna is also based on a real person who I am now obsessed with, Anna Sorokin. Uh, it's very VIP. Very VIP. I assure you, that's why a transfer is on the way. <laughs> um, so in the show, Anna Sorokin, going by the name Anna Delvey, is a possibly German, but also possibly Russian heiress with millions of dollars wrapped up in a trust fund but don't worry she can pay 
<laughs> and everyone she meets describes her a little differently, and her backstory seems to always change. Later, it comes out that she's not an heiress, has no money, and Delvey is a completely made-up name, despite her telling everyone that it's her mother's maiden name. Her mother's never fucking heard of that name in her life. Hmm. And she swindles some friends out of a lot of money and tried to swindle different banks out of even more and is arrested on these charges. Okay. All of these things that I mentioned really happened, including the scenes toward the end of the show where she uses her court appearances as a fashion show and throws fits if her outfits aren't there on time. Wow. Oh, she's the worst. She's literally the worst. The real Anna Sorokin was sentenced to 12 years in prison, but got out in 2021. So I think she was only in for maybe four years, and she got out on good behavior. Interesting. After a small stint of freedom being paroled, she was taken into custody by immigration because, oh yeah, she's here on an expired visa. <laughs> yeah, What's... she said her stay was, quote, uninten sorry, unintentional and largely out of my control. <laughs> uh she's also gone back and forth between saying she regrets what she did and then saying she doesn't regret a thing and here's the weirdest fucking part of all of that have you seen the documentary i think it's called fire uh, about the fire festival yes mm -hmm. that was another swindle like it's common yes. right they lived together for a little bit what yes the guy that made the fire festival, which was a music festival that never happened. This guy was said it was going to be this five star, very VIP um, thing uh, with uh, Ja Rule was going to be there. And like mm -hmm. he made these commercials with all these models on yachts and everyone was having a great time. So there's going to be like luxury hotels and luxury things. It was literally like um, like disaster tents that were set yeah. up when people got there. There yeah. was no festival. There was nothing. Like the, the the gourmet food was like two pieces of stale white white wonder bread and like cheese, <laughs> like yes. a craft single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Billy McFarland, Billy McFarland. I remember name. that now. Yeah, and it's just so insane because they were they were roommates. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how long they lived together, but they did live together. Hmm. What a what a what a crazy like coincidence. Um. So I have not watched all of Inventing Anna, but I am familiar with the New York Times piece that kind of acts as like the framing story, I guess, around yeah. it. Um, it's interesting because I feel like there are a little, little bit of discrepancies between the TV show limited series and that article. But then I I've read a couple other articles about her crimes since then. And I don't know. I can't tell what's real and what's not real. <laughs> well, that seems to be Anna in a nutshell. Right. And they even say it in the show. Every part of this show is true, except for the parts that are completely made up. Mm. So at least they're straightforward about it. That's fair. That's fair. And plus, I mean, who cannot like I can't get over. And I know you can't get over that ridiculous accent. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrible and great. Mm -hmm. So what's your next one? My next ones are, are kind of related to each other. But if you want, we can start with a fun a fun game again where i can okay. tell you the true story and see if you can guess the movie sure let's do it i think this one might be a little bit harder because it is uh more of an inspired by than a actual based on so the true story behind this 1990s classic horror movie is based on a killer known as the gainesville ripper uh, a guy named Daniel Harold Rawling. I know who, who he is. Yes, he was an American serial killer. He murdered five college students in Gainesville, Florida over four days in late August of 1990. Uh, Rowling later confessed to raping several of his victims, posing their bodies after death for the most shock value possible, committing a triple homicide in his home city of Shreveport, Louisiana, and also attempting to murder his father uh, earlier in May of 1990. In total, Rowling confessed to killing eight people. He was sentenced to death for the five Gainesville murders in 1994 and then uh, executed by lethal injection in 2006. So, Eden, if you had to guess which 1990, classic 90s horror, I'll say franchise, were inspired by 
the, the Gainesville Ripper, can you can you figure it out? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna not know this one. Okay, go for it. Tell me. Scream. The movie Scream. Scream. Okay. Yeah. So you know how Scream is like this peaceful California town that becomes an absolute mm-hmm. bloodbath when you know the masked killer starts hunting down the young people. Well. Part of the terror around uh, Roland's Gainesville Ripper murders is that when he was killing folks, uh, people, college students got really, really scared and started taking all these crazy precautions. It was in the news, like, watch your back. It's not safe. There's a killer on the loose, which is kind of what helped inspire the uh, screenwriter for the movie Scream to kind of put together this story where um, teenagers are essentially hunted by a masked killer who uses a big knife, which is also one of the signature murder weapons that uh, Roland's used as well to kill his victims. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Ghost face. That's what the killer is called. In the screen. Face, I had to look yep. it up. Yeah. So it's interesting that that is the original, like inspired by, um, and the screenwriter, Kevin Williamson. Kevin Williamson. Yeah. He, um, you know, was influenced by obviously a bunch of other, horror movies but he said that it was really the Gainesville Ripper and the idea of him like stalking specific people and like like terrifying them and like posing bodies in weird crazy ways was what kind of inspired the the storyline of Scream and of course Wes Craven loves himself some inspired by oh of course he does Mm -hmm. and I have a trivia question for you okay what was the original title of Scream Oh, huh. The original title of Scream. I feel like it's probably like some kind of dumb phrase like anybody home or something like that. It was pretty much untitled if you count how the name was. All right. I have no idea. What was the original title of Scream? Scary movie. No way. Yep. <laughs> That's so scary funny. Movie. We're, right, and- we're making a scary movie. <laughs> What else did Kevin Williamson do? What were the other two big things that he's known really well for? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I know he's written a couple other movies. One of them I'm... came out around like right around the same time it was a horror movie, and the other one is a teen drama series. Oh well, I know he was like a writer on Dawson's Creek. He was writer and I believe creator of Dawson's Creek. Yeah, Dawson's Creek is the one thing I was like screaming Dawson's Creek. Right? I don't and know then... what's what's the other one. I know what you did last summer, which is based off of a, I believe, young adult novel that I've read Mm -hmm. uh, by Lois Duncan. Yes. And it's actually a really good book. Uh, It was from the 70s. Mm -hmm. So it's like really weird. Like when you go back and read it, how many things are different because, you know, it's just, you know, it's 20 years later when they made the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Lois Dun- uh, Duncan because I, I enjoy a lot of her a lot of her books. Um, but uh, did you know her daughter was also murdered? No. Did we talk about this? Maybe. Um. So it's kind of it's really sad and tragic. I want to say. Um. So her daughter, Caitlin, was murdered in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it kind of like after that, like Lois Duncan stopped writing novels about teens being murdered and really focused on trying to it's not funny it's not funny but it's yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah she spent like pretty much the rest of her life trying to investigate her daughter her daughter's murder um it's kind of crazy because you know she passed away in like 2016 and then like five years later just happenstance the albuquerque police picked up a suspect on totally unrelated charges and he ended up confessing to his her daughter's murder uh, wow. Along with a couple other murders that took place in uh, New Albuquerque, New Mexico, in like the the same time period in like nineteen eighties, late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties. Oh shit! She wrote a book about that too. Yes, who killed my daughter? Nineteen ninety two. Who killed my daughter? Yeah, it was super fucked up. It was like a random act of violence. Like she was driving, her daughter was driving a car, and like shots rang out, and she ended up crashing to a pole, and it was basically she was shot while she was driving. And oh like people didn't know they thought she lost control of the car and they get her and then the ambulance comes and they realize she's been shot. And yeah, it's super sad. So, wow. That's insane. Yeah. That, that's my, our Lois Duncan tangent. 
I always thought of one movie that um I just I realized that this is also um Kevin Williamson. I just thought about the movie. I haven't seen it, but I wanted to when it came out. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Mm-hmm. Also Kevin Williamson. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Did I, I'm trying to remember if I saw that. It's like Katie Holmes, the guy from Seventh Heaven, the oldest yes. brother. Yes, yeah, so I'm like, it has and, one of the Seventh Heaven nerds in it. <laughs> yeah. And then um I think Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Maybe. Who oh yeah, Helen Mirren's in this movie. Holy Helen Mirren. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I have no idea if it's any good or not, but I probably will eventually watch it if it's ever on streaming somewhere. Not for nothing, but Lois Duncan also has a book called Killing Mr. Griffin, which is about Exactly. And that's what made me think of teaching <laughs> Mrs. Tingle. I'm like, they're they're not the same, but they're like kind of in the same neighborhood of like oh our teacher yeah. accidentally like we killed our teacher so my next one is one of the most brutal crimes that i have that i can ever remember learning about the movie is called the girl next door and it was based off a novel of the same name uh it tells the story of sylvia Likens, whose parents oh. worked for a traveling carnival and place Sylvia and her younger sister Jenny under the care of her aunt Gertrude Benizewski. I I don't do Polish names very well. I apologize to everyone in Poland or of Polish descent because I can't pronounce any of your names. Too many consonants. Sorry. Uh, so Gertrude already had several children, but she said she'd be happy to take care of the two girls for a while, and that's not what happened at all. I don't remember if anything really happened to Jenny or not, but Sylvia was tied up, tortured by the aunt and her children, and I believe some of the neighborhood children as well, sexually assaulted, starved, and otherwise humiliated and abused until she ultimately died from being malnourished and from her injuries. They'd put cigarettes out on her, they would rape her, they would do everything possible to this girl. And while the story of Sylvia Likens is fascinating from a psychological standpoint for me, the girl next door was largely unwatchable. Mm. There was nothing really to this movie outside of the torture and certainly no break in the tension. The crazy thing is, though, that Gertrude was played by Blanche Baker, a.k.a. the older sister in Sixteen Candles. Ooh. Yeah. I don't remember anyone else of note being in the movie, but I also just try not to think about the movie. And if you absolutely need to watch a Sylvia Likens movie, An American Crime starring Elliot Page back when he was Ellen Page is a much easier watch. Yeah. Uh, I kind of remember The Girl Next Door coming out. There's an other movie that's loosely, loosely based on Sylvia Likens' story. It's not like a retelling. It's like a fucked up version of it and i can't remember the name of it i came across it when i was like reading about like horror movies that were based on true stories not an american like, crime right because that's the ellen page one that i just mentioned yeah not american crime maybe i am thinking of the girl next door where maybe. it's like it's just like all this like unnecessary scenes of like torture and you're kind of like yep. what's even going on in this movie like this is fucked that's, up that's the extent of the movie it's literally yeah. torture 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 non-stop throughout the whole movie it's horrible. It made me hate everyone and hate my life. But of course, I needed to watch it till the end because I thought maybe something good would happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe there'd be something interesting about this movie. It was just not good. It was too stressful, too horrible. Unfortunately, kind of real to, to what happened, which makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah. I've always been very disturbed by that story of Oh, the yeah. the murder of Sylvia Lakin because it's just it's it's like yeah yeah I feel it's like horrible. I I can't uh, handle I don't have the emotional intelligence to handle that story after learning about it the first first time I'm like okay and nope nope no thanks yeah no it's horrible so that's good to know good to know and as soon as I mentioned Sylvia Likens to my mother like she remembered like when it happened yeah no and she was like oh that was brutal yeah yeah. No, thanks. Do you have a happier murder story for us? I mean, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's got to be better than Sylvia Likens. I'm sorry. Anything's got to be better than that. Exactly. Um. So 
there is a movie uh, that I love very deeply. It's a Wes Craven classic, and I'm not even going to tell you about it. Make you guess this time. I'm just going to dive right in. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, yep. I, I love Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like one of the very first movies I remember watching ever. Me too. And I feel like it's one of those horror movies that should be a throwaway horror movie, but I can always watch the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and I, I just love it. It's like one of those great, great movies. I love the first, the third, and the fourth one. Exactly. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. Occasionally, the new Nightmare is fun to watch because it's so weird yeah. and bizarre, but... And very occasionally, it's good to laugh at the second one and just how weird and, and very gay it is. Oh, yeah. It's, like, super gay. It's so funny, oh, like, watching yeah. it as an adult. I'm balls like, and, yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. The gym teacher in, the, like, the leather and being, like, whipped in the shower. And, yes. Oh I'm like, what is so happening? Gay. What is happening? But anyway, so classic, classic story, right? Nightmare on Elm Street. A bunch of Midwestern teenagers are being chased and pursued in their dreams by Freddy Krueger, who's this, like, nightmare dream mangler who will murder them and if they kills them in their dreams uh they die in reality and then it falls to the plucky heroine nancy and her friends to try to figure out what how they can stop freddie before they all end up dead right pretty basic formula mm -hmm. uh nancy's probably one of my favorite final girls of all time i uh, love nancy but yeah. it's so funny because the movie starts off with tina yeah yeah. And you think that she's going to be the final girl. It did a scream on us. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because that's what everyone thought with Drew Barrymore. Because like, oh, Drew Barrymore. Wow. Okay. She's the star of the, oh, she's dead. Yeah. Very, very, very classic Wes. Classic Wes. Yeah. So it's interesting because according to Wes Craven himself, he was inspired by a real story to, to create Nightmare on Elm Street. I thought this was crazy when I first learned about it. Yes. So according to Wes Craven, I'll just read the quote because I think it's pretty succinct. So he gave this interview years ago and he says, quote, I read an article in the L.A. Times about a family who escaped the killing fields in Cambodia and managed to get to the U.S. Things were fine. And then suddenly the young son was having very disturbing nightmares. He told his parents that he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. So he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought the crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. Here was a youngster having a vision of horror, of a horror that everyone older was denying. That became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street, end quote. So, Which, I mean, I, this, I know this is just a uh, inspired by one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What a way to be inspired. I mean great yeah. movie and really fucked up backstory yes extremely fucked up backstory so i was like that's a great that's a great inspired by uh classic yeah i was terrified as freddy of freddy as a kid so it did its job <laughs> but like i said i was terrified by every fucking horror movie when i was a kid and now nothing scares me in movies anymore i'm like uh seen it nope mm -mm. occasionally they'll scare me in the movie theater because of the surround sound but that's about it. Cool. What's what's next on your list? I have a one more for you. So for my last one, I have a movie that I feel so conflicted about because I want to like it so much more than I do. It stars Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler, both actors whom I really love. And while they do a great job and the atmosphere of this movie is tense and unsettling, I feel it just could have been better executed. But then again, I prefer a whodunit to a random killing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's also part of a, the home invasion genre, which really doesn't do it for me. That's fair. Anyway, if you haven't guessed yet, it's The Strangers. Have you seen it, Nicole? Honestly, I haven't seen it. And that's mostly because of some of the feedback I heard about it from friends much like okay. yours where it's like oh my god I love like insert one of the leads like I love Scott Speedman from Felicity or it's like I love Liv Tyler and uh yeah I just it didn't appeal to me I think because I personally uh do I, I'm with you I don't particularly enjoy like home invasion movies and I don't really enjoy hostage situation movies mm -hmm. because it's like there's only so many ways it can end and that exploration of of psychological tension between characters isn't as compelling to me as it is for other people but 
I don't have anything against it. I just, it was one of those ones I was like, meh, I'm okay to miss this one. Exactly. Yeah. And like the only movie that I feel does the home invasion trope, like really well, and they have more to it than that. And that's probably why I like it because it's more than just home invasion movie is your next. Hmm. I, I love that movie. And a lot of people are like, oh, I hate your next. Maybe they don't understand that it's horror comedy and they need to actually be like in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. Some of this is going to be funny. But anyway, back to the strangers. So the plot is about a couple who attend a friend's wedding where James, played by Speedman, proposes to Kristen, played by Tyler, and she rejects him. He has the place where they're staying laid out all romantic and it's kind of heartbreaking to watch like they do a really good job portraying that i could feel it when watching the movie for the first time well jame goes out to run an errand and Kristen is left alone and a weird girl comes to the door asking is tamara home and a voice that, just like that is that mm-hmm. where the is tamara home thing comes from yes okay Okay, because I'm I'm familiar with that. And I'm like I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean that it's creepy. It don't is get creepy. Me wrong, but you know. So Liv Tyler tells her she doesn't know who the hell that is and to go away. Um, and the girl goes away, or does she? Weird, creepy shit keeps happening, and you can see people in masks in the background of the home throughout the film until the conclusion, where they ask why they're doing this to them, and the killers reply with. Because you were here or because you were home. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm just like, okay, so there's no real reason that they're doing it. It's just thrill killing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. that's what makes me incredibly turned off about the movie. Um, so writer director Brian Bertino says his story was inspired by um, weird, uh, weird series of break-ins near his childhood home and one other very famous thing. Can you guess what the other one is? I mean, if it's like a thrill killing thing, it's gotta be like it's gotta be like Manson or something like that. Because it's like Correct. Yeah, okay. That makes sense where it's like the creepy like people and they they respond like, Why are you doing this? And it's like, because you were here. Oof. Yeah. So yeah, it was inspired by the Manson family. And I can now that I know that, I I can see a little bit of it in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like blatant it's not like right in your face but there is like subtle undertone kind of deals you know mm-hmm. i can I, I mean that's another reason why i'm also sort of like meh because i feel like the manson cult murders and all of the stuff that can be inspired by it i feel like it's really one of those it could be a, a really a good hit for me or it's just like terrible and I hate it exactly. because it's like yeah. you're exploiting this like awful event. But like I loved like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so good. Um, there's a couple other like books I can think of that I read like or, uh, The Girls by I want to say Emma Klein, I think. I think I know that one. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting. It's not direct. It's inspired by a cult that's similar to the Manson family, but and like it's set in California, it takes place in the 60s. So it has parts of it that are similar, but it's it was yeah. interesting because it's a different exploration of it. But yeah, oftentimes when something's like, oh, it's based on the Manson murders, I'm like, pass. It's gonna be a hard yeah. pass for me. There was a time when I was like so interested and I watched like every single documentary that was out there. I watched every made for TV movie. I watched, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. And I'm just so Mansoned out anymore that I'm just like, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. Yeah, I feel I feel like for me, truly, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like the capstone of like Manson media, and that's all I'll ever need. That's now. true. I'm like, I'm done. Okay, great. So my next one, Eden, I don't you may have seen this movie, you may not have. If you haven't seen it, I super recommend it. So I'm I'm going back to Wes Craven, man. He loved to be inspired by real life events to make movies. So far, like we talked about at least two Wes Craven movies. And this is a third one that was directed by by Wes Craven. And this one, I would say, is more directly based on a true story than his other movies that he directed. Okay. Um, the movie is called The Serpent and the Rainbow. 
Have you ever I've seen never it? Heard of it? No. Oh, okay. So the Serpent and the Rainbow. It stars Bill Pullman of Twister fame. As I, I know who he is. Yes. Wait, is he Twister? Oh, I'm confusing the Pullman and the Paxton again. Pullman and Paxton. I do it too. Who was uh, in Spaceballs? Bill Pullman. Oh God, I'm just gonna look him up now. <laughs> who was the president in Independence Day? I never remember. There's oh, just it's too many of them. Whoever okay, was in so... While You Were Sleeping, that guy. <laughs> Okay, while you were sleeping in Independence Day and Casper and Spaceballs and Lake Placid, it's Bill Pullman. Okay, great. I take it back because Bill Paxton is Big Love and Twister. I think I think I was mistaken. So it's Bill Bill Pullman who was it's one of them. Just so he plays a researcher from Harvard, a guy named Dennis Allen, Doctor Dennis Allen, who is a, a successful researcher in South America. And he gets invited by the president of like some pharmaceutical company to and go travel to Haiti and investigate the case of this man named Christoph, who supposedly died in 1978 and has somehow been returned to life. Um, Christoph mm. says that he was a zombie for all those years. So the pharmaceutical guy wants Dr. Allen to go to Haiti and get samples of this man's blood and see if they can find uh this voodoo drug that turns people into zombies because it could be a powerful new drug to use and like as like anesthesia so familiar now so dr allen travels to haiti and he meets the the man christoph he's treating and when he gets to haiti though it's in a period of like social upheaval and revolution and he starts to as he starts to dig into more about what happened to christoph he encounters a voodoo witch, like a powerful witch and torturer who has like all these zombie slaves. And he ends up getting dosed with this zombie drug and kind of goes on this crazy journey to hell and back trying to escape. Um, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it, like, I remember loving the movie and finding it very creepy and disturbing when I watched it. Uh, and the, as a kid, like, I want to say it's from like, Oh goodness. Like the late eighties, like maybe 88, 89. Okay. So interesting thing is that this movie was really heavily based off of a book of the same name called the serpent and the rainbow, a Harvard scientist, astonishing journey into the secret society of Haitian voodoo zombies and magic. Huh. So this book was published as a nonfiction book by a anthropologist and ethnobotanist named Wade Davis. Um, Wade Davis basically starts the book as a case study of a man called Claveris Narcisse, who said he was a zombie for about two years. And when Davis was studying him, he just kind of ascertained that this zombie like state that Narcisse was in was actually the result of like uh, exposure to some uh, tetroditoxin, which is like a super powerful hallucinogenic that's derived from the Datura plant. And also that hallucinogenic plant also combines with some of the cultural beliefs around voodoo. And he speculates that, you know, that the zombie powder is a real thing and that it is made from like puffer fish and this hallucinogenic drug. And that combined with the influence of like a Haitian shaman can make someone think that they are a zombie and behave that way. And it's, it's a super interesting book. And like, he kind of breaks down like the chemistry behind how certain exposures to these drugs can actually change your, give you things like give you a, uh, medical condition that kind of is similar to to zombie like zombie like behavior like it's a lack of iodine in your body and like it causes like slurred speech and like an uneven gait it's very interesting um but he wrote this book about it and his his trip to haiti um and it's interesting because it's like that's essentially what Wes Craven wrote the book about um and Wade Davis is kind of a crazy guy like he's he's very not crazy he's a very interesting guy um, he's written a couple different books, but I think Serpent and the Rainbow are probably the most well-known, especially because the West Craven horror movie. But yeah, it's it's an interesting take on, on culture. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there are parts of that that I sort of knew and parts of it that I didn't, and I've never seen that movie. 
So I'm going to have to watch the movie now. Yeah, he has a couple books about about like at the similar topic about like a like what a voodoo uh, zombie is that sort of stuff. If you've ever watched like a lot of um, I'm gonna say like the particular type of documentary you can find on like ID Discovery about spooky shit. Um, if there's anything about zombies, usually and like hate or voodoo, Wade Davis sometimes will pop up as like a talking head expert. Okay, but yeah. I thought that was cool. I was like, Serpent and the Rainbow, based on that true story. I have to give a shout out to one of my friends who reminded me about that movie yesterday. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's nuts. So, Eden, um, now that we've chatted through our movies, any any final thoughts on whether you are more or less inclined to see a movie if it has that fateful tagline of based on a true story? I am torn, actually, because sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I want to know what this true story is, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch this movie. But then at the same time, like, if they have to throw based on a true story out there, chances are that it's A, nothing like the story, and B, it's a shitty movie that they're basing all of, you know, the marketing on that one tool. Mm. So I'm very torn when I see that. Part of me wants to see it, another part of me thinks that it's just, you know, a cash grab. That's fair. That's fair. I feel that more often than not, when I know that something is based on a true story, I will be preoccupied throughout most of the film wondering what parts are based on a true story. Definitely. Yeah. And it can almost ruin the movie for me sometimes. Um, I think one of the movies that is absolutely 100% ruined for me because I knew it was based on a true story is the movie Wolf Creek, like that Australian horror movie about yeah. um it's based on the crimes of this guy named Ivan Milkat, I think or Mil- Milot, Milot something like yeah. that. It came up in my research. Yeah, and he like murdered a bunch of people in like the state park, a bunch of hitchhikers in the state park in the like the 80s and 90s. And like one wolf creek is a horror like a horrifying horror movie like it's definitely like really brutal and that alone was a little little rough for me to like handle but then the yeah. fact that the whole time it's like based on a true story i'm like that nope 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 like i still that's one of those like horror movies i think about to this day and i'm like kind of mad at myself for watching it because like i knew going into it it would be a little too much for me but yeah i think i'd rather know after i watch a movie if it was based on a true story or not because then it's like oh interesting you know yeah, definitely. Like that that's what I like. Like when I was you know reading or listening to, I should say, that sounds the Lamb's book and that, you know, beginning part from the author came on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, "Wait, it was inspired by something real?" Like, you know, I didn't know that watching the movie or, you know, any other time up until I read that particular copy of the book. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting, and I didn't know the Nightmare on Elm Street thing until years after the fact of me seeing it yeah yeah i'm thinking about one thing we didn't talk about at all and i don't know Mm. that could be it could be a topic in of itself but we didn't talk about the other big cinematic universe that kind of pops up in the in the in the paranormal world um with the warrens oh the warrens are everywhere yeah yeah and it's funny because i do like the movies that they're um you know, involved in. I love the Conjuring series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not so crazy about that first Annabelle movie, and I haven't seen any of the other Annabelle movies, and I never saw The Nun either. The Nun's so spooky. <laughs> Is it? My parents hated it, so that's why I never saw it. It has some good jump scares, I will say. Um, but yeah. somebody told me that the second, wait, the Nun, the Nun movie that has the other. Uh, has Vera's younger sister in it. Thaisa. Thaisa. That's like a flashback or like a prequel to like the, the nun movie. That one, whatever one that one is, that's apparently even scarier. And I'm like, okay. okay. I'm like, I don't know. The nun's a creep, like one of the creepiest things to in recent like horror film imagery that I've, I've come across, but. Oh no, the nun is super creepy looking. Definitely. So that's like why I want to see the movie. Yeah. But my mom and sister were like, just don't waste your time. <laughs> But I'll have to check it out. I'll still check it out. And I mean, like I said, I love Vera Farmiga and I love Thaisa Farmiga. So there we go. I'll watch it because of them, too. I mean, who doesn't love Patrick Wilson? Like, Oh, of course. He can be a villain. He can be the good guy. And I just love him and everything. 
Exactly. Um, yeah, he's always pretty great. Yeah, I feel like we could have a whole episode by itself devoted to the differences between those Conjuring movies and the real life Ed and Lorraine Warren. Like, there's exactly. just there's so much into it. So even though we didn't get into it today, I feel like, you know, if listeners are interested, there's some great other podcasts out there that cover it in depth. Or so. we could even break it down some other time. Exactly. Or we could do it ourselves some other time, dig it into the the crazy Warrens and their not quite love story. <laughs> the yeah, way- yeah, really, honestly. Yeah, it's like, I, I think that's what I love about the Conjuring series is that they depict it as this like, like amazing love story of these two people who are like out there fighting these unseen paranormal entities with just the strength of their faith in God and their love for each other to keep them safe. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is so sweet. And then that was not how it worked for Ed and Lorraine. <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> I guess that is our show. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys would like to get in contact with us, you can always send us an email at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can visit our website to catch up on any of our past episodes. Uh, It is roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. You can also find us on social media. We are Roadside Horror Show on Facebook and Instagram, and we are Roadside Horror on Twitter. As always, we'd like to thank E. Massey and Yox Rocks Designs for our wonderful intro and outro music and logo. Until next time, Roadsters. Creep Creep on, on, creep creep it on. on.